0: Even if you've heard this story before, this is a good one to uh, repeat. This was originally written in the magazine of the the Naval Institute, but it records that there were uh, two battleships that were out at sea, and they were doing uh, they were doing maneuvers and and practice, and they were out there for for several days in heavy weather. There was a lot of fog, visibility was was very poor, and at one point, uh, because the visibility was so poor, the captain uh, stayed on. Uh, the bridge of uh, one of these battleships. And uh, it was reported to uh, him by the lookout, uh, said that there's, there's a light bearing off the starboard bow. And he asked about this and if it was uh, moving or if it was coming right at him and basically said it's, it's steady, it's, it seems to be coming right at us. And so the captain said to the, the signalman, send out a signal uh, to the ship Uh, saying, uh, you know, and they sent it with, you know, flashing lights and code, uh, saying, on collision course, advise to change your course 20 degrees. And so the singleman sent out this, uh, the message, and they got a message back, the flashing lights, and reported to the captain that uh, the, uh, they had sent this to their ship, and they got the message back saying, advise you change your course 20 degrees. And the captain of the ship thought, well, that's an odd way to reply to me. And he said, send another message to them. I said this to the signalman, uh, send this message, uh, I'm a captain, change your course 20 degrees. So the signalman sent out this message, and they got a different message back saying, I'm a seaman, second class, change your course 20 degrees. And the captain thought to himself, this person doesn't understand authority in the chain of command here. I outrank you, you do what I say. So he said, we'll send another message to them. Change course, I'm a battleship. And they received a message back saying, change course, I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> we see in uh, Matthew, or, uh, Luke's gospel here, we're back in the book of Luke, Jesus is going to be on a collision course uh, with the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. When we left off uh, kind of Luke, volume two, uh, Jesus had just entered Jerusalem, the, the triumphal entry. And uh, here he is in Jerusalem, and authority is going to be a big issue because you have these uh, leaders of the Jewish people that felt that they are the authority, they are the ones that they ought to be listened to. And here comes this, this guy, uh, Jesus. Uh, this supposed rabbi who trained him, who was he under what authority did he really have and he's, he's teaching with authority he's telling him what to do he came in, he turns over the tables in the, in the, in the temple and causing this big fuss and don't they recognize that uh, these Jewish leaders the, the high priests, the scribes, the Pharisees these are the authorities that people ought to listen to not this uh, newcomer that thinks he can tell them uh, what to do As I mentioned, we're back in the Gospel of Luke. We've been going through Luke uh, for quite a while, but taking some breaks. And when we finished uh, Luke, kind of volume two, well, we did a first volume, kind of chapters one through nine. And that was the, uh, right from the beginning, Jesus' birth and uh, John the Baptist and Jesus establishing his ministry, ministering in the the north, doing lots of miracles are recorded there, uh, showing who he is and validating his authority. And that goes to about Luke chapter 9. And then there's a place where it says that Jesus uh, turned his face towards Jerusalem. And he set off on his, this journey to Jerusalem. And he, he was headed there, he knew, to, to go to the cross. He knew what was awaiting him. And so when we did a second series, uh, which was uh, chapters 10 through 19, uh, we saw this journey with Jesus to Jerusalem. And we finished that on Palm Sunday uh, last year as Jesus arrives, the, the triumphal entry. And we've done a few other series since then, but we're back into this. And uh, God willing, we're going to pace ourselves so that uh, Easter of this year will be the, the resurrection account in the book of Luke. And then we'll keep going until, until we finish uh, the book of Luke. But in this chapter, uh, we're in Luke 20 right now. I encourage you to take your scripture and turn to, uh, to Luke 20. But it's the issue of authority. It's going, We're going to see this battle over authority, and we see this so many different places in life. People say, "Says who? What gives you the right to do this? Who really has the authority to make certain decisions?" You see that with kids uh, at home. They argue with each other about their, their squabbles and their different things. You know, say, "Well, you have to listen to me. I'm older." Yeah, but mom said, but dad said, and they argue about who has the authority to do this. Kids at school uh, boss each other around and say things like, yeah, you know, who you and whose army, you know, what gives you the authority to do this? When we see it with adults. You know, there's authority issues that, that you probably have at work, uh, in the community. We definitely see it with politicians, don't we? Arguing who has the right to make certain decisions and who should get to do this or, or that. And we see it with, uh, between world leaders as well. So it's going to be the subject here in Luke 20. It, it, it's twenty twenty right now, and we're in Luke 20, so it uh, makes it easier to remember where we are, at least for a few weeks. So let's read uh, the first eight verses in Luke chapter 20. It says, One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes Now, with the elders, came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority? And he answered them, I will ask you a question. I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, Well, if we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say to him, from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is the word of God that we're going to be looking at today. I encourage you to keep your Bible open. If if you didn't open it yet, there is a pew Bible in front of you, and you should be able to find this on page 879. Uh, just as we go through Luke, I think you're going to get a lot more out of it if you have scripture open in front of you, so I, I encourage you to do that. But Let's walk through this passage, draw out a few things, uh, explaining this and so many applications that this has for us. And from the first two verses, I think one thing that we can pick out and I think agree with is the truth that it matters where authority comes from. It really does matter. They were asking about this, and we're going to take a look at what were their motives, why were they asking this, but there is truth that it does matter where authority comes from. And it starts by saying one day, and we, we know basically when this was. Uh, this was during the, what's called the Passion Week, and that's what we're calling series, the series, the Passion of Christ. And it doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus was passionate. He was, uh, but when uh, people talk about the, the passion of Christ. They're talking about this is the week that he came and he suffered. Uh, the older definition of passion means his, his suffering. And so these uh, next few months, uh, we're going to be covering what's really uh, w- the last week of Jesus' life after the triumphal entry. So we have something that's probably going on here. Maybe uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, different people debate when exactly this happened. Uh, but this is just shortly before Jesus ends up being betrayed and going to the cross. So that's where we're at in the life of in the life of Jesus. And we see him; he's in the temple, probably in the court of the Gentiles, in this big area that was uh, the the kind of the outer court, and it was called the court of the Gentiles because the Gentiles could go there as well. And uh, it was large; it was like thirty-three acres. And this is before the Passover week, so it was probably packed with people. Uh, pilgrims, travelers coming in from from all over to celebrate the Passover. So it was a busy, just happening thing that was going on. So Jesus is there. He's in the temple, and it says he's teaching and he's preaching the gospel. Uh, He knows that he is going to be going to the cross soon, but so he's teaching people. He's proclaiming the gospel. Gospel means good news. And so he was proclaiming that the, the kingdom has come. Uh, The kingdom is at hand because the king is here. He is the king and he has arrived. When we talk about the gospel, we know with that as well that we proclaim what Jesus, the good news of what Jesus came and he did. What he, from the perspective of Luke 20, is still in the future for Jesus, but it is in the past for us. That Jesus came with his face set to the cross, determined that he needed to go to the cross because he needed to die as a substitute for sinners. Because that is the only way for sinners like us to be brought into, back into a right relationship with God. There's nothing you could do. There's nothing somebody else can do for you to bring you back into right relationship with God. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We've all fallen short. The only way for this to happen was for, for God the Father to send His Son who became the, the God-man. Fully God and fully man. That's who Jesus was. And for Him to be sent into this world and He lived a perfect life and He died on the cross in the place of sinners so that anyone who comes to Him can have their sins taken away and receive the gift of eternal life. I hope that you've received that. If you haven't, I plead with you. That's the most important thing for you to do is to, to turn to him for the good news of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Jesus there, he's, he's teaching and he's uh, proclaiming this. And you see, it says that the chief priests and the scribes and, and elders came up. So a lot of the Jewish leadership, and they were used to being the ones that they were in charge. People would listen to them, and they're challenging Jesus because he seems to be coming and proclaiming himself as uh, authority. At least that's the way he's carrying himself. I mean, he came in, he's overturning the, t- the uh, tables in the, the temple, causing a scene. They've noticed that the way he teaches was different than other rabbis. Other rabbis would start different sources and say, well, this rabbi says this, but this rabbi says uh, this, and they would you know, have this long kind of chain of uh, authority, people that they look to. And Jesus, he was teaching with his own authority, saying, I tell you this. It's like, how do you, how do, you do that? You just come in and, and acting like you have all authority kind of within you. And so they were offended by this. By the way, it says the chief priests, in case you wonder, well, how can there be more than one chief priest? Shouldn't there just be one? Uh, well, there was at this time there was uh, Annas and Caiaphas. Uh, Annas was a former high priest, uh, the chief priest. Until about the year eighty fifteen, but he was still around, and it, it's kind of like former U.S. presidents. Uh, people still refer to uh, Jimmy Carter as President Carter, even though he hasn't really been president since I was five years old. Uh, but in the same way, he's still referred to as as president. And so uh, they would refer to uh, Annas as a uh, high priest as well, and he had a lot of clout and authority as well. So they're offended by this guy coming in and. And uh, challenging their authority. So the thing that got right is, well, it, it does matter where authority comes from. Anybody can claim to have authority. And anyone can pretend to do this and assert themselves. And we see that today. All kinds of people will claim to have authority over you and to tell you what to believe. And they may have some credentials and wave that in your face. Or it may just be something where it's uh, you know, people posting things online. And I realize anybody can post anything online, or post some you know graphic online and get people to believe it, uh, just because well, I saw it on on Facebook, and there was it was a graphic, and uh, you know it, it. Sometimes these graphics, uh, you know, people quote these things with, with no sources, and uh, it, there's no capitalization and punctuation's all a mess, and but people believe these things oftentimes. So anyone can claim anything but it does matter where the authority comes from. So they ask him this question, but they're not asking this with pure motives. They are being adversarial to Jesus. They did not think he had authority. They did not want his authority. This was not an honest question. And we need to learn the difference between when somebody asks an honest question and to realize when they're just trying to set a trap. And that's what they were trying to do for Jesus. This was not an honest question. They wanted to set a trap for him, to either get him to admit in front of these, this big crowd one or two things, either to admit, uh, yeah, you don't really have authority. You know, you don't have the credentials. This is you're not really from God. Just admit that, and then we can kind of blow you off, or to get him say something that they could get some soundbite that they use against him and say, look, he's committed blasphemy. He's made himself equal with God. And uh, get, get him in trouble. So this was not an honest question. They were setting a trap for him. I don't know how many of you play chess. Have you ever had it where uh, you're looking ahead and you're planning your moves and you're focused on what you're going to do, and you think, I got this person in check, and look at this, and one or two moves, I got them. And you do your move, and you're so happy with yourself, and the other person just announces, checkmate, gotcha, and you just didn't see it coming. And that's what Jesus is going to, is going to do to them. Uh, he's going to reverse uh, the trap on them. So it does matter where authority comes from. As we look at the next verses, we're going to see also in Jesus' reply, one thing we're going to notice is that apart from God, people have an authority problem. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. But let's look at this, uh, these verses again. So Jesus, he doesn't give them a straight reply. He doesn't just give them the truth. My authority comes from God. I was sent from the Father and deal with it. Instead, and he has his reasons for this, instead he replies with another question. He asks them a question. Verse 3, he answered them, I also will ask you a question. You know, I don't think it's just you're the only ones that can ask questions. I can do this too. He says, now tell me, was the baptism of John, and he's talking about John the Baptist, Uh, Jesus' cousin. It talks about him in the beginning of the book of Luke. Was it from heaven or was it from man? You tell me what you think. With all these people listening in, what do you think is the answer to this question? So, asking this put these leaders in a dilemma. So if we remember back to who John the Baptist was, uh, we saw him at the beginning of uh, the, the book of Luke, and... Even in Luke chapter one, uh, an angel appeared to Zechariah, John's father, and announced to him that uh, that he would have a son. And the angel says he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts to the the hearts of the fathers to the children, and of the disobedient. To the wisdom of the just, and make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So, John the Baptist was sent by God as this forerunner for the Messiah. The Messiah had been long promised in the Old Testament, and when you get to the end of the Old Testament uh, scriptures in, in Malachi, the last uh, book that's written, after that there's four hundred years of just dead silence. There's no more scriptures being uh, given and inspired. There are no more prophets that are sent for a period of four hundred years, and then suddenly God breaks that silence by sending John the Baptist as, as this prophet that comes and his ministry was to go ahead of Jesus and to get things ready for him to uh, to pave the way for the coming messiah um, if you're able to you can flip back to Luke chapter three just to remind us a little bit of what was going on here in the ministry of John the Baptist. Uh, Luke 3, starting with verse 2, I'm going to read a kind of a lengthy section here just to, to remind us who John the Baptist was. It says, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. They're going to ask him, what was John's baptism? Was this from God or was it, where was this from? And his baptism, it's a little bit different than Jesus's. This was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. It was for people realizing they were rebellion to God, and turning back to him um, and uh, embracing him for forgiveness. And it goes on in verse 4 as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and every hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. So not of feel-good message here. He's calling them, you bunch of snakes, you evil snakes. He says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So he says, you know, don't just say that you're repenting. You're going to show that you're repenting by bearing fruit, by living lives, by having things that show that you do have genuine repentance in your heart. And do you not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So he was, he was convicting them of their sin, helping realize you need to repent. You have sin in your lives that needs to be dealt with. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And as food is to do likewise. These are examples of, of the fruits of repentance. If you're really repentant, this is, these are ways that it's going to play out in your life. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers asked him, And what shall we do? And he said to him, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. You know, was John, was he the Messiah? And John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. So I'm not the Messiah, but the Messiah is coming. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is about judgment. And so with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Heroditus, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all that he locked up John in prison. And so by this I'm in Luke 20, John has been uh, executed. Then verse 21, Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, You are my son, with you I am well pleased. And you might remember uh, that passage from the Trinity series that we just did. You see all three members of the Trinity there. So Jesus... And John the Baptist, their ministries were really linked together. So this is what uh, Jesus is saying to them. Where do you think, tell me, what do you think about John the Baptist? Where was his authority from? Where was his uh, baptism from? Because if you agree that John the Baptist was from God, then you should realize the message that he had about me. But if you're going to reject me, then you're also rejecting what John the Baptist said because, well... John the Baptist you know he was kind of like a, a like a boxing announcer you know where the the big microphone comes down you know if this is the case you know he's he's saying uh, behold the son of god who takes away the sins of the world and that's what he said in in John's gospel this is Jesus he's the lamb of god he's the one that's come to take away the sins of the world so Jesus puts them in a conundrum and they they don't know how to respond cuz they uh, these leaders, they have to go and talk about this. Well, how do we respond? What's the, the best way to do this? Because uh, they, they say to themselves, well, if we, uh, if we admit that John's baptism was from heaven, they'll say, why didn't you believe him? You know, why did you reject him too? Uh, but if we say, well, he's just from man, then these peop- it says all the people will stone us to death for they're convinced that John was a prophet. So they're like, well, we, we don't really think he's from God, but we're afraid of the people. We want to please them. We don't want to face the repercussions here because, uh, you know, they, they think this. So verse 7 said, so they answered that they did not know where it came from. Let's pause for a few applications here. One is that Satan loves to attack legitimate authority. And he does that through unbelievers. He does it through false teachers. But there is legitimate authority in this world that comes from God. And from the beginning, Satan has been attacking that authority. Even in the Garden of Eden, Satan through the serpent was saying, did God really say this? Did he? Did he really? You know, wouldn't it be better for you to trust your own heart, to trust your own feelings, for you to make the judgment about what you think is right? And since the beginning, Satan has been doing that, trying to turn people's focus off of the, the genuine, true authority that comes from God and to get them to trust in anything else. Uh, some other leader, some other false prophet, or, or especially trust your own heart, trust your own feelings. You know, make yourself the, the, the real authority in these matters. And he keeps on doing this. We see this today. Satan loves to attack legitimate authority in, in the family. in in the church, in society at large. Uh, He is not a fan of of proper authority. Another application we can see from this and notice is that God's enemies are often cowards and liars. I think of these these Jewish leaders at this time, okay, the the high priests and the, the scribes, you know, these religious you know lawyers and teachers and all this. Supposedly, they, they know Scripture. Supposedly, they're the authorities in all this. But when they're asked the question about John the Baptist and where do they think his authority is, uh, they, they do the calculation of how is this going to benefit us. And their reply, verse 7, is we don't know. We just don't know where it comes from. They're being cowards and liars. They are fearing people. That they want to control, but they're afraid of the consequences from these people. They might stone us to death, so we don't want to tell them what we really think. So instead they lie to them. They don't think that John the Baptist was from God. You know, they, they have a settled opinion on this, but they don't want to say that. Because they don't want to, to reap the repercussions that are going to come from that. And I'll tell you, we see this in the world today as well. From, from unbelievers. Uh, from people that claim to be religious uh, progressives or, or liberals, oftentimes what they will say in public is very different from what they will say in private, very different from what they really, say, really think. You know, there, are, there are pastors that will claim one thing in front of their congregation, uh, that, you know, yeah, I believe the word of God, and yeah, I believe in Jesus, but in, in private they don't really believe these things. But they know that they'd lose their position. They knew the people would be upset with them if they said what they really think. You know, they they know that you know their views are more sophisticated. You know, but you got the ignorant masses, and so you gotta just you know uh, say what what they need to hear. And that's not how it ought to be. We gotta speak the truth always. So you have others that are um, saying different things. You, you see this in churches and even in colleges and denominations. They say one thing to appease the, the donor base and another thing you know, behind closed doors to their colleagues. We also see here that unbelievers really have an authority problem. And I mean that in more than one way. One is that they don't want authority. At least they don't want any authority that's not themselves because they want to be the ones that, have, that are in charge, that are, are the authority. But even more, they don't have a real basis for authority. They don't have anything to really base what they think on. Apart from God, there is no objective basis for authority. And this applies not just to religious leaders back then, but to anyone today. If you don't believe in God, if you don't believe that God has spoken to us with objective clarity, then where do you really go for truth? Do we find it in ourselves I'll tell you, if, if I had to just find truth in myself, I'd realize that's a terrible place because I am often wrong. And there, I change my mind on things. And if I'm the ultimate source on this, what, does that mean truth changes as I change my mind? Or what if we take a vote? Is that where truth comes from? from the uh, Just the collective you know, wisdom of the crowd and whichever gets 51%, that's truth. Well, what 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 about when that changes? You could have 100% of people voting and vote the wrong way. People trust their feelings, all these uh, different things. Apart from God, one book puts it this way, it's like we have our feet firmly planted in midair. There's no basis for, for real authority, to know what is true, to know what is right, to know what is wrong. And with this, sometimes, if you get in discussions with people about Christian ethics or with the truth of God's word, what is correct doctrine, sometimes you just need to ask this other person, uh, you know, do you, just start by asking, do you believe that the Bible is God's word or not? Because if the other person doesn't believe that this is really God's inspired, inerrant word, then you're starting from two completely different foundations. You know, if they just want to pretend that this is God's word, that this is inerrant, well, then that's different than if you actually believe this is the truth. Are we arguing from the same foundation or not? I think another application for this, you know, as you have discussions with people and um, hopefully positive ones, hopefully ones that are helping them, not just trying to own the other person in a debate, in in a debate. But sometimes people ask you, Christian, you know, what gives you, you know, conservative Christian, the authority to say Jesus is the only way, or to say that this Christian uh, moral teaching is right? You know, don't other people have rights? Don't they have, you know, human rights and all this? Sometimes it can be good to, like Jesus did, reply with another question. And to get them thinking, to ask, where, well, where is your authority really from? On what basis, on what authority are you saying your thing? You could say to them something along the lines of, well, you, I'll answer you, but you tell me first, where do you think that human rights come from? You know, get them to think about that. A lot of people today, they talk about human rights, and there's a right to this and a right to that, but ask them, where do you think those rights actually come from? Get them to think about this. Do they come from the government that these are just granted by by the government that would be a scary thing if that were the case because if the government can control that then the government can grant rights and the government can take those rights away and in reality what the government can really do is just acknowledge the rights that are actually there but they don't actually create these rights but if people think that the government is the ultimate source what other things Someone might respond, well, do you think, is it you? You are the one that is the ultimate uh, source for, let's say, human rights, your feelings? Where is the authority? Is it in majority rule? Well, what if that changes? What if the majority is wrong? Sometimes, the, oftentimes, the mob is going the wrong direction. Is it just a matter of power? Do you really believe might makes Right? And that whoever has the biggest army, whoever wins the battle and wins the wars, that they are the ones that get to decide these things for their culture. Well, what if the Nazis had won? Then would their truths be right? Instead, the correct answer, the only answer, is that authority, truth, and rights have one source. and That's from God. So when we look at this at the end of this in verse 8, we're going to kind of answer the question that Jesus kind of leaves open, because we know what the answer is from Scripture. Real authority comes from God. Now, in Luke 20, verse 8, these people, they didn't answer. They weren't willing to give a straight answer. They weren't really willing to have an honest discussion about this. And Jesus finishes by saying, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So, Yeah, we want to answer the unanswered question here. Where was Jesus' authority really from? And we know the answer. We know the answer from Scripture because even though Jesus didn't address it here, it's addressed many places in Scripture and many times in the Gospels. One of the places we could look to, uh, in the book of John, chapter 5, this was a passage that we read during the Trinity series, but uh, there's many passages so starting in verse 22, Jesus says, at a different time to a different audience, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. He's very clearly saying here, my authority comes from the Father, the, the Lord God. Verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, Son of man is a term there for the Messiah, the Christ, the one who is promised to come. And this is just one of many passages. Yeah, Jesus' authority, it was from the Father. But why didn't Jesus answer that? Why didn't he just tell these leaders? Well, we see they weren't asking him an honest question. They were trying to set a trap. I want to pause here again for a little more just kind of practical wisdom for us as we engage with other people. Because I think there's something here that we we can take from this. Jesus didn't give them a straight answer. He didn't lie to them, uh, but he didn't give them the answer they were looking for. And some practical wisdom here that I think we can take from this is on one hand, yes, don't lie. We're not people that lie because lying is not what God is like. That's violating one of the Ten Commandments. But on the other hand, realize that you don't have to answer someone who wants to use your true information to hurt you. You don't always have to give information to someone if they are going to use that information wrongly to hurt you or to hurt someone else. And I think you realize this when somebody calls you out of the blue, you know, and they want to sell you car insurance or they want to uh, get your information, they start asking for personal information from you. And hopefully you realize that just because somebody calls you and claims uh you know to to represent some company that yeah, you don't start giving out your social security number and your credit card information because they might be using that against you. There are internet predators that are out there. You know that they they love it when you post a lot of personal details, you know, online. Uh, you know, here's these, you know, 30 little trivia things about yourself that, you know, people can get that information and use it to, uh, to steal your identity and, to, you know, crack into your bank, you know, password with your secret answers. Um, people trying to steal your identity, your money, there are sexual predators out there. There's ways that you need to be wise, you know, for kids. You're not, you know, giving out information to people online as far as your, your age and where you're at and all these things because there are, there are creeps. That are out there that want to do bad things, evil people. You don't owe a full answer to someone who is not going to receive your answer fairly. Jesus didn't give them the answer because he knew they were just trying to set a trap. They weren't in this for an honest discussion. And the same way we need to be aware of that too when we have discussions with people. You see that with politicians sometimes. You know, they know what the person believes, but they're looking for that sound bite, they're looking for that thing that they can take out of context and make them look like an idiot. And there are people that want to do that to us as Christians as well. Get you to say something uh, so that they can make you look like you're this awful person. Uh, take it out of context. Be wise. Is someone seeking truth or are they just trying to set a trap for you? And when the world we live in today, that's, that's a, a practical thing that we need to, uh, to learn to do. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16, he said, we live in the midst of wolves. He said, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, we're innocent. We're not liars, but we have to realize when is the right time to to go into all the details and to not give people something that they're going to just twist and use against us. It's a lot different when somebody is asking a fair question. They really want to understand, and you can go into it with them. So this might be something that you need to apply at work. You apply on Facebook. Uh, or different places. Uh, When is this actually going to be helpful, and when is this just something that is going to make Christianity kind of look bad, because people are going to take something out of context? And last application, if God has authority, well, this is going to change everything in our lives, isn't it? If he has real authority, then it means that uh, this is just advice for us. That what we learn from Scripture isn't just, this is, hey, take it or leave it. this is, God has authority. He has the say-so. He really does. Uh, we didn't create him. He created us. He designed us. He knows how this world functions. He knows how this world was made. And he created this world from scratch and he created you for his glory and his purposes. So live according to what he says. I was thinking about this. Sometimes people... I will say, well, I'm, I'm a Jesus follower, and I get what they mean, and that that's fine. We are Jesus followers. That's what a disciple is, uh, but sometimes people like to say that instead of being a, um, uh, you know, being a Christian. It just it sounds better, but I wonder sometimes, sometimes when some people say that, do they, could they mean that in the same way that, hey, you could be a follower of all kinds of things. You, know, you could follow the wisdom of some teacher online, and follow these principles, and you know, we're more than just followers. I mean, we're worshipers of Jesus. We're worshipers of God. He isn't just giving us good advice. He's giving us truth. And if we want to go against it, uh, we, are, we are aiming ourselves at the, at the lighthouse, and we are going to come out of the, the wrong end in that collision course. So if God has authority, means we need to stop rebelling, That's what repentance is. When we stop rebelling and we turn to him, stop making yourself the ultimate authority. And I know Disney movies told you to trust your heart and follow your dreams and believe in yourself. That's not what God's word says. God's word says the heart is uh, deceitful and, and wicked. Follow what God says instead. Don't make yourself or anything else the ultimate authority. Come under God's authority And we say that, come under God's authority in all areas. It's not just a matter of picking and choosing. Well, I think these things will help my life, and so I'll come under God's authority for for this part, but you know, I want to have my fun over here, and I want to do my thing, so I'll kind of come under his authority, but I'm also going to do my own thing. That's not how it is. God has authority over everything, over all of life, over every part. It's not just coming under his authority for the easy things, And it's not just coming under his authority for the things that you already agree with. Come under his authority even when it's hard. Even when you have to change your opinion on something. To recognize he he is the boss. He is the one that designed this. He's the one that has the say-so. And trust that the Bible is God's authority. That's how we know because the Bible has God's authority because this is God's word. If the Bible teaches that something is true, it's true because it is God's word. And lastly, it means if God has authority, then seek forgiveness in Christ. Come to Jesus Christ for forgiveness because he has authority also to forgive you, to forgive sins. Back in in Luke chapter 5, there's an episode where Jesus heals Someone, and he says a part of it, he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Yeah, it's something only God can do. That's who Jesus is. He is the God-man. And you don't have authority to forgive yourself. Someone else doesn't have the authority to forgive you. I don't have the authority to, to forgive you. But Jesus does because he came and he took your sin upon himself on the cross. And he took care of it, and he he buried that when he died. And he offers you that forgiveness. We are sinners. We are rebels at heart. Turn to him, the one that has authority, as your Lord and Savior, and trust in him to forgive you. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We thank you for the word and what you have spoken to us here today through uh, what you have inspired and what is written down for us. Lord, may we think about this through the week, and just think about the fact that you are the source of all authority. That Jesus Christ, being God, what He says is true. We thank you that we have a firm foundation for what is true. We we don't have our feet firmly planted in midair, but we can bank on you and what you say. Lord, forgive us for all the times that we've tried to make ourselves the boss, that we have uh, looked to ourselves to be the authority. Help us to turn to you each day, even in the hard things, to submit to your authority. Because what you say is true and it is good, Lord God. And we thank you that Jesus Christ has authority to forgive sins. And so that those that have come to him and turned to him and trusted in Jesus Christ can know with authority that they are forgiven. That they are washed clean because of what Jesus did in our place. So we give you praise. Help us to live for you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.